Good day, everyone. Welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Paul George. Digging Adam Conk. Hey, hey, hey. Have you been hanging out with Australians? Because you just said good day, everyone. Good day. Good day. Welcome to the show. Glad you guys are listening today on the podcast or on the radio show. Um, Adam, good to see you. It's great to see you. Um, yeah, I don't hang out with Australians much, but I was. My wife and I were watching a show um, recently on the on the flicks of um, that was based out of Australia. Yeah, what's it called? And I noticed myself using things like that, like "Good day" or "Yeah." Have you ever "Good on you, mate"? <laughs> been around someone that had an accent, and then you just subconsciously start talking like them. Hundred percent. You know, I kind of do that when I go back to my hometown. It's got this thick Cajun accent before I know it. When I leave, mm-hmm. I'm talking with this this thick Cajun accent. It's pretty funny. That is funny. It definitely happens to my wife. I'll tell you that. She's from down south in Patterson, Louisiana. And um, as soon as our van like crosses into the Welcome to Patterson sign, the, her, ac- the accent comes out. Her accent changes. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's inter- How you been? I mean, what's been going on in your life? Well, um, you know, just doing the, the whole thing, being a deacon. Um, Helping run a school. I mean, you're run, all over the yep, place. Yeah, school life and family life. And uh, it's it's a full life. You know, in Lu- I don't know about you, Paul, but here in Louisiana, winter, we normally have <clears throat> at least two weeks that are just terrible. Like, it's really cold, but it's also wet or So muggy. mid-January to mid-February is horrible. Yes, normally. Normally. I don't know if you've noticed, but this year is a little different. It's been horrible. It's been cold, like today. It was, you know, lower 30s when we woke up. Right. But it's been not humid. It's not muggy. I really like this kind of winter. Yeah, this isn't bad. I'm getting but fired it, up. It's, it's kind of been, you know, and people who are listening to the show who live up north, look, don't feel sorry for us, by the way, because, yeah. you know, it's cold in the morning and it's warm in the <laughs> afternoon. We're fine down here. We're doing okay. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, yeah, it's been crazy. You know, I have, you know... Sometimes my life, I'm like, man, you know, there's things that are just like, I wish they could like straighten up, you know, get better. And then there's times where I'm like, you know, I'm pretty fortunate. You know, I've been leading these adventure retreats for men, these Catholic retreats, right? And then we have some for married Mm -hmm. couples. And it's just been phenomenal to see what God's doing as you take a small group of people away and you retreat, but, but you also just do life and eat and have fun and go fishing or hiking or whatever. And just to see what, what God does. And then you integrate the church and the sacraments and prayer into that. It just becomes this just overflowing of, of helping people um, come into a relationship with God and yet weave every parts of their life together, you know, so it's not segmented, right? Uh, oh, I do this at work and I'm this way at home, but I'm this way at church and, and our lives are kind of compartmentalized and the beauty of, you know, seeing all those things come together. So there's times where I'm like, man, this is really fortunate, you know? Um, so I took a group of guys on a, on a, on an adventure retreat, you know, we had mass to do all those things in prayer and then they went fishing Mm -hmm. and limited out 
which means limited out, which means, you know, there's a limit of fish that you could catch that's legal. They limit it out in like an hour. An hour? They caught so many fish. Wow. Mm -hmm. Where was this at? This is south of here in, you know, um, in the, you know, part of the Gulf type thing. Nice. An hour. Okay. That's not bad. Wasn't bad. You know, remind me of Wait, wait, wait. Was this this past weekend? That was a couple weekends ago. Okay, because I was going to say that the gospel from this past weekend was about all those fish. Yes, it reminded <laughs> me of like these guys who are just like normal dudes. Like some of them don't even go to church, right? Or have ever prayed or read scripture, or it. it and then all of a sudden, you know, they're fishing, and it, it was sort of like that. Like with with Jesus and the disciples, like, hey, just I know you've been fishing all day, or you've been going through life, and nothing's going well cast your nets that side of the boat and then they they pull in a huge haul of fish right Mm. and there was something about these guys coming back with like a haul a load of fish that was just like joyful and beautiful and and like everything that just kind of revolved around that whole thing and it was like you could just see god moving in everything that's awesome so you get to do this like Several times a year, many times a year, just have these moments with these people. As many times as I'd like, Adam. That's amazing. No, it reminds me, I mean, I've been out of the RCIA game for a little while now, but it reminds me of that experience where when you invest a lot of time in people and their relationship with God, like you said, like when you're just able to devote time to that, it has an effect on you that it, it, there's really nothing like it. Like to, to witness people encounter Christ over and over and to help facilitate that uh what a beautiful privilege you know but it it, it's a great blessing too yep all right so do you have a have you seen what did you say that is so interesting for real though you ever um try really hard to accomplish something you kind of do everything you can and then it still just doesn't work (laughs) yeah all right yeah i think we could all relate to that nice well, um, that was a story at the Pentagon uh, this month. Hmm. I don't know if you heard about this. No, I didn't. seen this. No. Well, I don't know if you know this, but the Pentagon is a place where they take security pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow there's a chicken named Henny Penny, okay. named Henny Penny, that was able to infiltrate like the inner security areas of the Pentagon. A chicken got through. A chicken named Henny Penny. This happened on the third of this month. Flew the coop. Flew the coop. Um, They don't really know. They still don't know how this happened. I wonder if this chicken was like bugged. (laughs) A chicken. I'm sure somebody had that thought. Is there a bomb in this chicken? Is it a spy chicken? There's like a docu-series that I was watching. I know this sounds crazy, but it's on spies and like, like the real life of spies, how you pick spies, how they learn the trade craft. And, you know, we have... Anyway, we have spies from other countries in our country that we yep. don't know of. And it started kind of freaking me out. Yeah. And now I'm like looking everywhere for like spy things and bugs and people. And I don't trust no one anymore from watching the docuseries. Well, not even chickens. Don't trust chickens, apparently. Um, the loose hen was found early Monday morning near the U.S. Department of Defense headquarters in their central offices. Um, but the group that found them did find it humorous so they posted apparently the answer to why did the chicken cross the road is to get to the pentagon i'm glad they're having a good time with this but i have questions i do have questions <laughs> how did the chicken get through one of the most secure places 
in our country. Because usually criminals usually are smarter than chickens, right? Mm-hmm. So I would imagine, but maybe not. Maybe chicken instinct is all you need to, to get. Look, hands down, I'm telling you, that chicken was bugged. <laughs> it, it, they made that chicken swallow a microphone, and they got some some data from the Pentagon. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's interesting. You picked that story because I just got finished watching this docuseries on spies, and I'm kind of freaked out about it. <laughs> I am. It's like undercover. Like, would you ever be a spy? Like, would you ever want to learn that tradecraft to, to completely – like build relationships with people and yet have this other life, right? Like you have to, you have to forego your, your life for the sake and the cause of something, you know, that you're loyal to. I mean, I guess if I had that skill set and I got into the military, cause I, I get the need for spies, right? That seems to be historically established. We need spies. Well, if they're on your team, they're good because right. obviously they're getting information that could, lead to like possible terror attacks or like, you know, things that are super dangerous. Like if you're trying to protect people and have a democracy, you know. So, I mean, if I had that skill set and that's where Uncle Sam wants to put me, I would do it. But it's interesting that as you say that, I've never thought about this before, but it's almost like the church, um, we're at our best when we're not trying to be spies in in the other kingdom, you know, the kingdom of darkness and sin, but when we're very upfront about who we are, and why we're there. And sometimes we have this temptation to become like little spies. We think we have to infiltrate without like using Jesus's name or without, you know, like no one knows we're Christian till an aha moment. Hmm. And then like, oh, now they want to become Christian because they know I'm just a normal person. And then, and then, I'm, and then I love Jesus. But that never seems to work, actually. It doesn't. It seems like being very upfront and honest about who we are. Uh, but at the same time, you know, like we're not, we're not at war with people. The kingdom of God is not spread through violence, you know? But um, so relationships need to be real and authentic, and they need to include who we are from from the get-go. And I've been in a lot of uncomfortable situations where I know somebody was, like, I don't use the term grooming, but they're trying to evangelize me through a relationship, like kind of baiting me like that, mm-hmm. you know? You ever had that experience? Yep. And and usually it's a non-Catholic faith or something like that where they're called the bait and switch technique. the bait and switch you know they they bait you and then all of a sudden it's like they want to yeah they surprise you with like you know this conversion opportunity and the whole time you're just like why weren't you being authentic and upfront with me i see this a lot in some churches techniques of evangelization it's real inauthentic to me and look i'm going to say this you know so if people were listening on the show or the podcast, I'm going to say this just from my experience and my real, you know, belief as, as I've digested so much around the world and our country and the church that I I believe that people are leaving the church or the church isn't growing or struggling, uh, not because we don't have great priests, although we need good ones. Although because like we don't have good homilies or we don't have good leadership in our bishops. We need that. Yes, I'm not I'm not saying that. Or, you know, we need a, a great pope. Yes, whatever. Like, yes, all those things are true. We need to clean up the scandal for sure, a hundred percent. 
our seminarians need to teach the right. Yes, I'm on board. All those things, yes. But I would say this is that the church will not grow and expand until lay people decide to live their lives differently. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about Catholics. Because it's just like what you're saying, Adam, is like, can you actually tell the difference between the way a Catholic lives and the way someone who's a non-believer lives? Is there a difference in the way they live their life? And I think the discrepancy there is, is the fact that we've blended in so much mm-hmm. that people don't know we're any different, that we believe any different, that we think any different, that we act any different, act any different. Like to have a conversion means we change the way we do things. We leave the old way behind. And yes, we're integrated into the culture, but to be beacons of light, meaning our light is shining. It's not under a bushel basket. And so what's happened is I think most Christians, believers, really live under the, the, the identity of a bushel basket. Mm-hmm. Dim light, let me just blend in, let me not make any waves, anyone feel uncomfortable. But the way we evangelize the best and share the gospel is to be authentically who we are, not spies, not living these, this double-agent life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And... I mean, I guess we were lulled into that state because we were a Christian culture. We used to be. So if you went with the flow and didn't cause waves, you were pretty much flowing in a Christian direction, right? Hmm. Christian values. Everybody had the same Sunday activities. That's not the culture anymore. The flow of the river is not towards Jesus anymore. Hmm. Um, And so, you know, some of us think we have the luxury of you know, like you said, not causing waves and I'll follow Jesus at home. And that's pretty much the best God wants for me. But the reality is all of us have the missionary mandate that Jesus gave us. All of us are called and sent into the world to spread the kingdom, lay people included. And that baptismal call is also a baptismal responsibility and mandate that we have to answer for before the Lord Jesus. And so we all need to realize we've lost the luxury of not making waves, of not making things uncomfortable at work or at at home. Not to say that we have to be agitators, but we have to think every time we go into a a situation, how do I bring my faith into this situation? Because it's not just going to happen by accident. It's not like we're going to walk into a workplace and, oh yeah, everything went great and everybody's Christian now, everybody's Catholic now, everybody knows Jesus now. Like We have to actually think about what we're going to do differently, like you said, than everybody else. Right. And look, I'm, I'm challenging myself here. If my life doesn't look different than someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, then then something's wrong. Yeah. Like I got to challenge myself and I'm not talking about being an agitator. I'm not talking about making these off the wall claims and like going way off to just agitate people in response. I'm talking about the way I love and the way I think and the way I interact and the way I treat people. And the heart, you know, Jesus has been talking a lot about what's in, what comes out of the heart. What's in the heart is what we speak, you know, and I think it's important for us to allow that to happen and to be authentic in that. Yeah. You know, so the gospel this Sunday is really going to challenge us, what you're going to talk about. And then, you know, one of the saints that we have this week, how their family helped form them. And so when you have the, the church and the family working together to form us to be 
you know, real beacons of light in the world. I mean, that's how it works together. So anyway, um, we're going to take a, a break. We're going to think about this chicken thing a little bit more. <laughs> and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in to the show today on KLFT Radio here in Acadiana or on the podcast, wherever you are. I got to say, shout out to podcast listeners. There's been a lot lately. Yeah. You can see this on the digital uh, platforms. Yep. So a lot of folks tuning in. Thanks for doing that. Yep. And we do, uh, we're grateful for you. You know, we didn't have a show last week. I think we were both out traveling and, you know, we, you know, so on the podcast, You'll have a show this week, but thanks for being a part of the show. Yeah, so I had chickens at one point. We had some chickens out at our house, and I got to tell you, they're not the smartest animals. <laughs> they do roam around, and like I would go out of town and come home, and like ten would be dead from like, you know, a raccoon would kill them, you know, or things like that. Like they're just they're not fighters. Did they ever get into your house? You know, like so when you have like the phrase of like you're a chicken. Like, it's true. Like, chickens do not fight. They're, they're not going to put up a fight. No, they will fight each other. The, the You know, you've heard of, like, hen pecking. They will right. peck each other. But other than that, like, they don't, they're going to run. The, and they might just die just by looking at something. they just be like, I'm, I'm not fighting. I'm just going to die. Yeah, it's pretty clear God intended us to eat these animals, right? Right. They don't put much of a fight. They're going to eat. Just eat me. But they do just kind of roam around. Like, they, mm-hmm. you know, roam around with, like, chicken with his head cut off. You mm-hmm. know, like, the whole saying, like. You know, and you can't cut a chicken's head off and they kind of stay alive for a moment, you know, not to get gross, but just (laughs) the reality of it all. But they do just kind of like roam around. There's no method to their madness, right? They just kind of boom, 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 which, you know, if it roamed into the Pentagon, I mean, I guess it's possible that it just kind of like, you know, just kind of bounced around. But Mm -hmm. I'm still suspicious. Yeah, well, apparently... Someone did ask that question, is this a spy chicken? Spy and chicken. Apparently they looked into it. Yeah. And I'm sure they did. They, they determined probably, not. <laughs> they probably dissected it and everything. I'm telling you. It's crazy. The things that go into espionage has really got me going. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of espionage, do you have a weird Catholic stuff? What? You're kidding me! That's unbelievable! Ooh, that's gross! Weird! Catholic, stop! Alright, um... That was live. That was live. So, in preparing for this segment, I couldn't believe what I was reading. This is amazing. So this is the story of St. Julian the Hospitaller. Okay. He is a saint, a canonized saint. Canonized. He's a patron saint of a few things that are non-controversial, like he's a patron saint of boatmen. Innkeepers, travelers, because apparently he ran a hospital. Gotcha. I mean, um, a hotel. Okay. But there's one thing he's a patron of. So if you have a hotel, here's your guy. Yeah. Or a boatman. Yeah. Or if you're 
a murderer because he's a patron saint of murderers. How do you become a patron saint of murderers? Yeah, so... <laughs> Which goes and tells you that there's a patron saint of everything. Yes. So he came home one night. He was a married man, a layman. And he came home one night to what he thought was his wife and another man in bed together. Okay. And he kills both of them. Done. Okay. Now, apparently it was dark. This And this is a true story. So, <laughs> okay, what I'm about to say is a true story. What, around what year is this? That's a good question. Uh, it looks to be middle ages. I'm looking for a date. Gosh, so no real electricity. It. You're hitting the lights. Okay, candle so this light. is like candlelight yeah, This is not days. 1963 or whatever. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, well, anyway, so come to find out it was not his wife and another man because his wife soon returned home. Oh, Lord. It's it horrible. was his parents who had unexpectedly come to visit. Oh, Jesus. And were helping themselves to the bedroom i guess yes but, so he kills his parents oh lord that's horrible <laughs> and on accident on accident well anyway so he he goes to confession and has this this whole situation brought about a, a spiritual searching in him that made him um you know convert to right. the lord in a more deep way it was devastating devastating um and as part of his like reparation for what he'd done he decided to take care of the poor, so he opened up a, an inn. A hot... So he never went to prison. No, this was this was a time where that wasn't necessarily a thing, right? In this situation, or they couldn't prove, or they never persecuted, or it was an accident. But he did murder. Well, he he had to do penance. So this was this is a time where like church and state were very blended. So gotcha. he, he went, you know, he did public penance, and after that was done, um, he opened up an, a hotel, a hospital for the poor. From his and, parents' life insurance policy. Correct. And uh, <laughs> in one of the stories, I mean, total redeeming him, but there was this leper that came into his, his hotel. He gave the leper his own bed because they were out of beds. And that leper ended up being an angel and appeared to him or whatever. So anyway, that's just a weird story. Um, so, if, you're, if you're ever in that situation, you have a patron saint. So, so. if you're a murderer, then you can pray to him. You know, if you're... right. You know, behind bars or, or if there was an accident or if you've actually thought about murdering someone, you could pray to him for like, talk me out of this, talk me out of this. Or, you know, <clears throat> when the commandments say you thou shalt not kill, I mean, I gotta be honest. I can't tell you I haven't murdered someone in my mind, mm -hmm. in my heart. Like I've been like, man, I want to kill that person. Well, and every, every word of gossip is, is slander and is, murder in a sense, yeah. right? But you're talking about like in in your heart, you're like, man, I would never do it. Right. But I'm just thinking, man, you're mad, you're upset, or whatever. That like I say something, something yeah. you know, you gossip, and so what I'm saying is like a lot of times when you think about killing or murdering, it's sort of when Jesus says, you know, if you look at someone lustfully, you've mm -hmm. committed adultery in your heart. Well, you haven't actually committed the act of adultery, but in your heart. You have, mm -hmm. and as Jesus has talked about, like what what's in the heart, you know, from the from the from the heart, the mouth speaks. It's weeding those things out of our hearts, and so yeah, if we've slandered someone, gossiped, wished ill will upon someone, in a sense, it's like a, it's like wanting to murder them, get rid, like you know, do harm. And so this patron saint, I didn't know we had a patron saint of murderers. That's yeah, that's pretty pretty good. And I guess if you're 
if you have a bad relationship with your parents, he can help you out too. You can pray down for that. Yeah, but and, and even in a sense, like you could pray that that he his intercession can help you forgive people that have hurt you, that you've wanted right. to harm, that you've thought things. Look, we've all had you know thoughts go through our mind when we've maybe been hurt or mistreated that we wish harm on someone. Not not in a sense that we would do it, but you know what I'm saying. Like you know, he can help us forgive. Yeah, for sure. And if we if we need to learn like to take a breath, if something just happened that really upsets us and gets us very angry and passionate and whatever, to not like run away with that, but like take a step back, take a breath. because um, sometimes you might not have all the facts. Like Saint Julian, right? Like sometimes you might think something is happening and it's not actually happening. Um but man, that's just such a sad story. Yeah, I think one of the <laughs> one you know, one of the things that we do a lot is we make assumptions. We assume someone thinks something about us, or we assume this happened. We assume, you know, the church did this. We assume our spouse said this or did this or meant this. or And then we make, we believe assumptions before we actually access the truth. What it, mm-hmm. What is the reality? What really happened or what's really at stake, right? Mm-hmm. And we make a lot of assumptions about people all the time. And those assumptions, you know, I can assume like, okay, you're in a bad mood. I don't know. And I'm just assuming that, it's about me. You're mad at me. You don't like me. And then I just live in that assumption. I make it up. And that's not even true, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe the whole time, like, you got two flat tires on the way, and, and you're just having a bad day, and you stumble in. And, you know... Or I, I love you so much that it hurts. I hate you. It hurts to look I at you. I love you so much, I hate you. <laughs> yeah. It could be that. It, it could be that, <laughs> you know? And then here's the thing. is like when Jesus talks, you know, I when he... He makes some tough statements for us to set us free. You know, so when he talks about like our heart and what from the heart the mouth speaks that, you know, when committing adultery is more than just an act, it's a, it's a thought. It's those things. When you look at the gospel this weekend and we're in the gospel of Luke, the sermon on the Mount, right? When the Beatitudes, I mean, when you dig into those Beatitudes, like when we read them, we're like, oh, they're all beautiful. That, I mean, you, have you read the Beatitudes? Like, have you dug into them, right? It says, blessed are you who are poor for the kingdom of God is yours. I mean, when's the last time, like, you actually just thought to yourself, like, am I poor? Like, am I, am I very in touch with my poverty, my need for God? And when you talk about, like, how our culture has changed in, in the first segment, how, how we're living in this post-Christian world and culture, is it, I mean, if anything, we've gotten away from this poverty, this need, this idea that that my life is empty without God and, and I'm I'm dead broke without him, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, he's could be talking about physical poverty too, like but but spiritual poverty, our, our deep need for God. Blessed are you who are now hungry, you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who are weeping, mourning, you will laugh. Blessed are you when you hate people. <laughs> this is what we're talking about. When they when when they exclude and insult you and denounce your name as evil on the account of son of man, like he goes through this, right? And then he says, he goes on, but woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation already. Like, I mean, have you pondered that? I mean, have you soaked? I mean, I'm reading that. I'm like, okay, like I got a lot of work to do in my life, you Mm -hmm. know, to become better and more holy 
Woe to you who are filled now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will grieve and weep. Woe to you when, when all speak well of you, for their ancestors treated the false prophets in this way. Like, Jesus isn't just speaking these because he had nothing to say. Like, he, this is for us to, like, own and, and integrate into our life. Well, and integrate, I think, is an important word with the Beatitudes because, you know, like the Catechism says about the Beatitudes, that these are paradoxes, paradoxes, which means two things that seem at odds some, somehow find a harmony. So, for example, being poor and being happy, being mistreated but, being, but rejoicing, right? And because they're paradoxes, it makes us think, it makes us examine, it makes us want to understand. But it's not just a paradox because that's how Jesus likes to teach. He's not like, this isn't necessarily, you know, his lesson and the way he likes to teach his lesson. They're a paradox because it comes from a wisdom beyond this world, a wisdom above this world, a wisdom above being poor and being rich, a wisdom above everybody liking me or nobody liking me, a wisdom above all of it. And because Christ exactly because he's from above what he has to say it it brings a wisdom and a truth and a simplicity to human life that can only come from him and it is very challenging it's very challenging that's the point um but because it's a paradox there's so much to think about and consider that the beatitudes are the very heart of the gospel also the catechism they're like our Ten Commandments of the Gospel. I mean, they're, they're a summary of who Jesus is. They're a summary of how he lives, how he thinks. They're a summary of his wisdom. And so, obviously, us reflecting on it this Sunday is very important because it's our Gospel reading. But all the time, what is contained in the Beatitudes is a deep well of seeing things the way God sees them and challenging us because we don't see the way God sees, right? Like, we can always find a way. I'm not looking at things as God looks at them if I look at the Beatitudes. Right. Absolutely. You know, we live in the world of, you know, knowledge and self-help and medication and, you know, YouTube and figuring things out. And the reality is uh, none of those things can solve our deepest need and desire, right? And the more that we live this life of self-trying of, you know, trying to be extremely strong and have it all together, the more we're just lying to ourselves because the reality is in our, in our humanness, we're all broken and we all fall short. None of us are perfect. All of us fail. We all have weaknesses. You know, we look around and we think, Oh, they have it all together. They're perfect. They, they, they have no weaknesses. They're so great. Or, you know, and, and things and money and wealth and all these things we have in our culture can hide what's true about us. And the truth is that we're all extremely poor when it comes to our ability to live in freedom. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to, is to accept our poverty so that we know where our wealth comes from, which is the extreme love of God and to accept that love in our brokenness is when we find the most freedom It's like, God loves me in my imperfection. He loves me even though I'm broken and I don't have it all together. And that's when I live the most authentic life 
the most free is, is knowing that on my best day, I'm an imperfect Paul who is relying on Jesus more than anything. And that's my best day. Mm. My worst day is I'm an imperfect Paul who's relying on imperfect Paul. And things go really awry. They fall apart. They fall apart. <clears throat> <laughs> Leave it to Adam for the dad jokes. As you were talking, I, I just had this image of, you know, imagine, okay, our, we're made to breathe oxygen, right? Like we, we do it pretty easily. It's not hard. I breathe in, I breathe out. But imagine if I tried to live without oxygen, it would get pretty complicated. Like I'd have to get into a laboratory and figure out what substitute for oxygen would exist? Mm-hmm. How could I how could I make it all work? I would probably have to have some device in my lungs and some kind of like constant it would get so complicated, right? right? To seek an alternative to something very simple, which is just breathe in oxygen. Mm-hmm. And the Beatitudes are like this reconnection with humanity to just breathe the oxygen. Because we try all these other things to replace God or replace our dependency on God, like you said, you know, we weren't, we were not made to be independent from oxygen. We're not made to be, to breathe apart from God. Um, but yet when we try to live that way, it gets very complicated and complex. We can create all kind of apparatuses to try to replace this very simple thing of depending on God. Right. The Beatitudes are this invitation to just forget that path. And, and to come back to this very simple life of complete dependence on him and just breathe him in every day, in and out, right? And um, yet we forget, we forget, we forget. And so we start building these apparatuses again. Um, we start to rationalize why we don't pray as much as we should, why we're not as dependent on God as we should be, why we're, we rationalize all these things to make it very complicated. Yep. But God's will is very simple. Yeah, I mean, and you know, sort of the, you know, famous sort of motto and, ringtone you know saying these days is becoming the best version of myself Mm -hmm. you know and there's nothing wrong with that saying at all we all want to be the best version of ourselves. what does that even mean well okay i'm going to be in shape yep that's a good thing i'm going to diet and eat right absolutely we should take care of our bodies i'm going to exercise and work out yep I should be more disciplined in my life. Mm-hmm. I should work hard and find something I'm good at and use my gifts. Absolutely. You know, um, <clears throat> you know, I should read and learn and grow intellectually in my life. Yeah, hundred percent. But the best version of ourself is ourself who is not self-made and self-driven. It is through God's grace that we, we accept our poverty and as Jesus to fill the void in our heart that keeps trying to be something that we're not the best version of ourselves is to be who God created us to be and to live in relationship with him and to accept our imperfections and our frailties and to learn to love ourselves. The reality is there's not one person on this planet who, who can't pick out things in their life that they don't like about their life or that mm-hmm. their imperfections. And, you know, that that's that's the reality and the best version of who we are is is becoming a saint. Yeah, and what do the saints say? I mean, like Saint Therese, who at a young age wanted to become the best version of herself, the greatest saint, she said about the project of becoming very small and unimportant, unnoticed by the world, right? 
just to be a plaything in God's hand was her goal. Like she wants to be like a little ball in the in the hand of the child Jesus, who can pick it up when he wants and put it down when he wants, whatever he wants. That was her life aspiration. So, and you're right; it is important to understand the gifts and talents and everything God has given us. But the goal is not to become big. No, the best version of ourselves is God's version of us, who He created us to be, and to and to grab hold of that, right? And say, Therese is like, you know, if I become like a little child, then I know my need for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's where we need to be. Not at this point where we can't act and be and agree, but, but to know that through God's grace, like, yeah, I can do whatever he asked me to do, but my limitations, I can't, I can't, um, you know, I can't just create answers, you know, and mm-hmm. figure it out on my own. You know, which is the beauty of, you know, this week we celebrate uh, this awesome saint, Saint Scholastica, who started a religious order in a convent. You know, little do you know, Saint Scholastica's brother, Saint Benedict, I think they were twins. Twins, yeah. So they're twin brother and sister. One starts a monastery, Saint Benedict, an amazing religious order that's still around today. And then St. Scholastica, his sister, five miles away. And once a year, they would meet in the middle at a barn, and they would just talk about spiritual things, right? And to think about their journey paralleling together within a relationship and a family and the beauty of, of what that done, you know, did in their life and has done for us today in the church is remarkable. You have two saints from the same family who were twins who started religious orders who found, you know, who, who, who became the greatest version of themselves by finding uh, a path of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, that was it. And they, they journeyed together. It wasn't like, you go your way, I'll go my way. It's like, we're going like, to journey in this together, which is why it's extremely important for us to have that in our life. And, you know, this brings up to a point. I, I think a lot of us desire those types of relationships with people. And we're talking about nobody's perfect and nobody has it all together. And whenever we hear about these kinds of examples, like brother and sister who are both saints, a lot of us, because of our own insecurities and misunderstanding about humanity, just kind of assume, oh, well, they had it all together growing up. And, like, that's awesome. But, like, I don't. You know, like, me and my sibling aren't like that. And, um, But that's not... God, in his gifts and in his providence, has a path for all of us that is unique, and the blessing that comes from brother and sister who become saints and are holy like that is not because they had it all together. It's because God had that plan for them and that path for them, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that the path he has for me is now I can't become a saint because I don't have a sibling or a friend or somebody my or my spouse. Like, I don't have that amazing connection, and so I'm just lost, and there's something wrong with me. I hear those kind of things come out of people's life mouth all the time because they assume this priest or that couple or you know this brother and sister duo they got it all together. I don't, so I can never be a saint. I can never be holy. I can never actually love God the way I, I want. Um, it's exactly the path that they marked out that made them holy. That is, God's will made them holy, and all of us has ac- have access to God's will for us. God's will for us is not exclusive to saints or to people that have it all together, quote-unquote. 
God's will is available to all of us, what God wants from us. Um, and their path that they forged helped tons of other people find God's will for them, too, in the Benedictine order. And, and so, um, yeah, these are great saints to look up to, but don't just, don't just think of them as these perfect people I'll never become. Um, they struggled and worked hard just like we have to do to find God's will and follow it. Yeah, no. I mean, it wasn't like they intended to, to do great things. They just lived this simple holy life, and they held each other to that standard. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what we we can't become the best version of ourselves. And I keep coming back to that because that's that's the phrase that people are using these days. We can't become who God created us to fully be without other people, mm-hmm. you know, and this is what our family becomes. It becomes this place where we we help each other to become who God created us to be. You know, and then and then the church parallels with us to help us on that journey by forming us, by offering us the sacraments and and Christ. And when the family and the church work together to do that, that's when like people live the most free. That's when like Mm -hmm. humans become fully who God created them to be. And and this is the beauty of you know Saint Scholastica and Saint Benedict is is that you know they they breathed wind in each other's sails to push each other forward in the path that God had had for them right and that's what we need from each other yeah. in our lives so certainly yeah we should we should all get better at all the disciplines in our life but none of that happens without God's grace through prayer the sacraments and through our weakness through realizing that we are all sitting there on the Sermon of the Mount and the Beatitudes, and we're all the poor, every one of us. Mm-hmm. And in our poverty, we've, we become fully who God wants us to be because like, like St. Therese said, like we, we become little children who are in need of a father who takes care of us, and then we rest in that reality. All right, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in today on the radio or on the podcast, wherever you are. Man, at least down here, I can smell spring coming. Mm-hmm. I love spring. spring. So it's about to springs, spring on us. Spring's my jam. That's okay. your jam. <laughs> okay. No, it's great. And, uh, you know, last year, if I remember right, people just really liked Lent because the year before that, we couldn't do Lent, basically. Like, Lent was canceled. Easter was canceled. Everybody got canceled. It, it was just We bad. canceled everyone and everything. Yeah. And so last year, I was like, man, I really like this Lent stuff. I hope it, I hope it translates to this year as well. We even canceled to cancel. I mean, that's how much we canceled. Cancel the it the all. culture got canceled to the cancel culture. 
that canceled everyone. Is cancel culture and, getting canceled? I mean, everything's canceling each other out. There's nothing that exists anymore Dang. that isn't canceled. Everything's canceled. Maybe that's how the Lord comes back. He's the only one left. Everyone else has been Even canceled. Even he's canceled, but well, not really. They can't cancel him. No, they can't cancel him. You know, they can't do that. No, they're gonna try. Yeah, they've been trying for a long time, actually. Okay, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. So Saint Scholastica, by the way, mm-hmm. when she was dying, her and her brother met, and she didn't. She felt like she didn't have much time left. That she was, you know, dying. They were twins, but so he, Saint Benedict outlived her. And she asked him to stay with her for the night. Like they met, you know, and he was like, no, I've never spent a night away from, from the monastery. And it's, I would break our religious rules, our rules of life for doing that. And so he told her, no, like, I'm not staying with you when you die, which is like extremely disciplined, but I can't judge their relationship. Like they probably were, she was probably like, yeah, you do what God's asking you to do, you know? But so she prayed, like, Lord, like, you know, I don't, I don't want to be alone, you know, so can you do something about it? So a severe thunderstorm broke out to where St. Benedict and some of the monks couldn't travel back to the monastery that night. So he had to stay there mm-hmm. with her. And so she had this, like, little consolation from the Lord as she passed away. Mm-hmm. So yeah. just a little side, side note there. It's pretty neat. Benedict was like, come on, sis, really? Yeah, so if okay. somebody, you know, tells you no or does something, you, you just FYI, like, you could pray right around that person, straight to God, and just ask for the Lord to do his thing. He does his thing, you know? He does do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. How about a six-pack of questions? Question. Question number one. So we started the uh, program today talking about Penny Henny, the chicken that broke into the Pentagon uh, yeah. earlier this month. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess my, my question for you would be, what's like, what's the situation that you've tried to secure the most? Maybe your house, maybe your shed or something, and then like it just didn't work. Like, have you ever had that situation like something just penetrated your defenses, whatever thing you set up just didn't work out? I, well, I mean, it's interesting you bring that up because, like, I would go back to when we had chickens and they would always get killed by some animal, mm-hmm. you know? So like you'd set up some wall or A raccoon or, or dog would break through the fence. And, and I, I go back and be like, why didn't I just build it better to where they couldn't get attacked from all sides? <laughs> and I guess part of me just didn't care enough. <laughs> Who cares if the chickens die? They're just chickens. But, like, it was just, it just wasn't. Like, why didn't I just get, like, a full cage thing that just protected them? Coyotes got to eat, right? But it was horrible. I was a failure at, <laughs> at, at the farming. I was a failure at it. Like, I just tell you, like, I was not good at it because I just didn't care enough. You get, right. Like, for something to work, like, you really either have to be extremely laid back and not care if everything goes awry or you have to care so much that, like, you just take care of all the details. I really just didn't care enough, I think. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number two. Um, you talked about you've been getting into spies lately, or you saw this documentary about spies, and mm. it's got you really wondering. How do you know I'm not one? How do we know you're not one? Um, so my question for you would be: if 
if you had to do some kind of spy role, because there's many different roles in espionage, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could be an undercover person for years and then like, ha ha, or whatever. Which spy role do you think suits you the best? Like, what could you see yourself actually doing? It wouldn't be like, it definitely wouldn't be behind the scenes, like, you know, tracking, you know, like computer data or anything like that. I would definitely be a field agent. Nice. Yeah. Like I would. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could totally see myself pulling off, you know, a double agent type thing. How do you have a family? Which with is that? what scares me. I think you just don't. Yeah. Honestly. In the movies, that's, that seems to be the best advice. Yeah. People who try to have families doesn't work out. I think you just give up all that unless, you know, like your, you know, your wife kind of knows. But, I, you know, I was seeing like there are some traitors within our own country, like people who work for the FBI or CIA or whatever, just went to like, you know, the Russian embassy and was like, I'll be a spy for you. Made millions of dollars wow. by trading secrets and staying in their job and being undercover as a, as a double agent. And it's crazy. You know, like, what if my wife is inspiring? Like, <laughs> I'm just thinking all these thoughts. Yeah, good thing I don't know anything important. But I did anything. think, like, even back, I mean, this is this is no new technique. This goes back centuries, right? So <clears throat> in, in some ways, like, I wonder, and I don't say this, like, lightly. I, I just, speaking out loud, is like, I wonder in some ways if, like, Judas was a double agent. Mm. You know, in a sense, like, as this Jewish man who was, like, kind of like following Jesus, but like he, he obviously had one foot in and one foot out Mm -hmm. and he was trading information on Jesus to the Sanhedrin to, you know, like he was trading information. We know that to the point where that information led to the death of Jesus. And in some ways, like he was an internal spy and they didn't know, like, I mean, literally you read the gospels of Jesus, like there is a traitor. He uses that word. Mm -hmm. Well, what is a spy? A spy is a traitor. I mean, he was a spy. He was, he encamped with them and became one of them. Now, I don't know if that was his original intention. I have no idea. Like, who who knows? But it became his intention. And I think that's what happens a lot with spies is they get recruited. It's not their original intention to become that. But they just end up in a situation where they, greed, ego, uh, begins to pull and tug on them. And so what? He was offered money, Mm. maybe even some power. To trade secrets of Christ. And it's interesting that Christ, even Christ, was betrayed by a spy. Man, you got my head spinning on that a one. A chicken came into his camp. Oh, my goodness. All right, question number three, which is a follow-up to some things you just said. So this one-foot-in, one-foot-out business with the kingdom of God is notoriously dangerous mm-hmm. for a lot of those reasons you just mentioned. But you must encounter this often with working with people, trying to help them encounter the Lord, like especially with men, I would guess. This one foot in, one foot out approach to the faith, approach to our prayer life, approach to whatever. How do you, how do you get out of that mentality? Um, how do you challenge men to to be all in and not one foot in, one foot out? You know that ninety percent of spies are men. <laughs> really? Yeah, ninety percent. I mean, it makes sense. You know, because it taps into like their ego or pride or money, adventure, all those 90%. things. Ninety percent. So I mean, and and. In a lot of ways, like men, you know, shocker to the cancel culture, men and women are created differently, Mm -hmm. um, equal uh, in their dignity. But like, right, like Mm -hmm. we're, you know, just different makeup. And, you know, to to answer your question, you know, but the greatest, you know, 90% spies are the ones that just, they go all in on the life. Like you can't be like, 
you know, the ones that get killed give up their identity because it's like, oh, you you wanted to play both sides or, you know, you, you kind of wanted to have fun and go on vacation and, and then go back and be a spy. I bring all that up because I, eventually, like for men, like when men jump two feet in to the faith, like they become the greatest movers and shakers in a lot of ways. And the invitation for men is like your life, your greatest life isn't lived with with split decisions with one foot in one foot out in your life it's jumping all in that's where that's where the best comes and so the invitation for men is to to do exactly what they would do in business or any other thing is like go all in and you'll see the fruits of it and with our faith there's only one way to live it yeah they're scary we got to go to that point conversion is a process i get it i've been there we all have but eventually it's like hey right like two feet in God will take care of the rest. Love it. All right, question number four. We talked about St. Julian, the hospitaler, and uh, he made a really bad choice. Mm. He had a bad day. Mistake. He killed his parents thinking he was killing his wife and her lover. So either way, he kind of intended to kill somebody. He, he killed his, yeah, he intended to kill someone. But it was through his repentance from that and his reparation for that, opening up this uh, hospital for the poor and, and travelers, um, that he actually became a saint and a canonized saint. And so my question would be, this is not an uncommon human experience where we make really stupid choices. Sometimes like just one day I made a terrible choice that impacts the rest of my life. Mm. Um, and you've probably worked with people on, on those experiences of guilt or shame or whatever. But how does that work? And like kind of maybe speak to some people who are already connecting with things they've done that you can actually make it become the means of your own holiness. Mm. Like repairing that damage you did or, or working through that experience can actually be the way that God makes you a saint. Yeah, we have some friends who, you know, one of their adult children just didn't go the path that was best, right? And just kind of, and then it didn't end up for them, like as parents and, you know, the path that they wanted. And, and you know, we were talking and I just said this, like even in my own life and others is like, God God creates beautiful pictures out of crooked lines. And all of our life has lives have crooked lines. So some of us are more crooked than others in a sense of the paths we've taken or the choices. And it, but if we believe that God can't take our crooked lines and create something beautiful, then we're mistaking. Whatever we have, whatever paths we've, you know, created or choices we've made or wrong turns scrabble god <laughs> takes all that he can take all that and and create a beautiful picture for the for our future right and you certainly we have to live with certain consequences and and like the results of those things but it doesn't define the rest of our life like you know so for for this guy who's a saint like he never thought he'd be a saint mm. out of his greatest pain he created probably the greatest path of sainthood and and hope for other people in hospitals and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So use your story to create something, you know, of hope for the future, right? Like your testimony, your life, like God use it to do good things for others. Awesome. All right, question number five. We talked about St. Scholastica um, and our brother St. Benedict kind of finding a, or finding a path to holiness that change the church forever. Um, what if we find ourselves in tension with those main relationships of our lives and it it's just not going away? Like maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a spouse. 
how do we in, like how do we endure that? Is that what God wants for us? How do we find God's will in the midst of a relationship that we think should be going really well, but it's not? You know? Yeah, I think I don't know. I mean, it's so complex. Keep praying for that person. Keep praying for a breakthrough with that person, right? And that God would lead it. You know, and sometimes it's not our role to, maybe it's someone else's role to be in relationship with that person to help them, you know? Mm-hmm. When it's family, I think, you know, siblings or, you know, obviously parents and spouses is that those are relationships that are important to work on because your your family is there. But it takes two. You got to determine, like, is the other person making the effort as well? Mm-hmm. You know, but we can't do the work for the other person at the same time. That's true. That's true. All right, question number six. Man, we talked about a lot this episode. Goodness mm-hmm. gracious. The be- the Beatitudes. We talked about the Beatitudes. We did, actually. Um, so question number six. Give me, like, one Beatitude that you think is a good thing to work on maybe in the coming week for our listeners. Like, one really challenging one that you, w- you would want us all to re- kind of reflect on and think about. I, I would go back to the, the first line. Blessed are the poor. Right? And I want you to think this week in your life, in your prayer time, while you're driving at work, when you, when you recognize like a weakness in your life or a discrepancy or like a thought about yourself or something you don't like about yourself, point it, like earmark it and say, that's where I need God. And just stop and say, Lord, like I, I'm, I'm poor. I need you. I need your love and your mercy and your forgiveness. God loves us in our poverty and that's where we find the greatest grace and strength in our relationship with the Father. So to not run from our brokenness and our poverty, but to embrace it, that's the mystery of the gospel. That's what St. Therese, you mentioned earlier, talked about. It's just becoming the little child who who knows that they're in need of God. So anyway, Sweet. okay. Man, that was a packed show. Packed it in. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. You know, be a part of the show, share the show on the podcast. Thanks, Kelly Radio. We'll be back next week. God bless.